Welcome to episode number 46 of the Marine Layer podcast. Emerson Hancock makes his major late debut. Cal Raleigh scorching hot in the Mariners lineup. We'll go down on the farm, our MLB wraparound as well. We have a Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. As always, here's your reminder before we start the show, if you're listening on the audio side of things, go over to YouTube, check us out on the video side, hit subscribe on YouTube, like, comment, and turn the notification bells on. That way you know when we go live or post a clip or a video. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, head over to our audio platforms too. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. Go follow us, hit download, leave us that five-star review. And then if you want to check us out on social media too, where we're always active, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, August 10th. And by my count, Lyle, the Mariners are halfway to 14, halfway there from last year's 14-game win streak. How about that? How far are they getting this year? 16, 17, 18? They break in the A's 20-game win streak? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, isn't the record 22 now? Yeah, because the Guardians broke it a few years ago. So 20 is not the record anymore. Are they getting past 14? No. Sorry. Probably not. It probably ends this weekend. The Orioles probably are not walking out of Seattle without a win. Orioles have the most wins in baseball against teams over 500. I'd like to shout out Twitter for that. That statistic did not do my prep on that. That just that came to me. And that's I really appreciate it when that happens. Makes my life uh, a whole lot easier. Hey, but a reunion with Adam Frazier this weekend, Lyle. Are we excited? What type of reaction do we think he gets? Do we think he gets some sort of round of applause? I'm not saying it's going to be thunderous, but just something because of the hit he got in Toronto. Yeah, I think it'll be a light, a light round of applause. Like when he first comes up, it'll it'll be nice. It'll be polite. It'll be it'll be Seattle polite. It'll be passive aggressive. That's what it'll be. Right, because his season as a whole, as we've talked about, was not good. However, he now holds one of the clutchest moments in team history. So he did do something for this franchise that does warrant some ovation. He did turn from having one of the most clutch moments in Mariners history to having the most clutch season in Major League Baseball. It's funny how that correlation works. I still can't believe that's a real stat. I know we talked about it a couple of shows ago. That's unreal. Because again, he's not having some otherworldly year this year. He's just been clutch. Is it also going to blow your mind when there are two King Felixes on the, on the same field this weekend? Oh, God. The Orioles' <laughs> social media team is the worst. Like, it get is. your own ideas, people. And I'm honestly glad that I, we're not usually ones to root for Houston to win, but maybe a little bit of poetic justice with Kyle Tucker this past week when he hit a go-ahead grand slam down three runs in the ninth inning off of Bautista. Nothing personally against Bautista. I don't even think he really knows or cares all that much about what the Orioles' social media team is putting out there. But I think Kyle Tucker did his due diligence of realizing, hey, the real King Felix is going into the Mariners Hall of Fame this weekend. Why don't we put this rubbish to bed? Why not? I can't decide if that's more important than gaining ground on the Astros because Kyle Tucker hitting that grand slam puts Houston further ahead of Seattle, where 
the Astros lost today here on Thursday. So the Mariners did get half a game on Houston without playing. But I can't decide if social media triumph is worth gaining ground or not gaining ground in the wild card. That's true. They did gain ground on Toronto, though, which is fine. They did. One one spot is all the Mariners need. They don't need multiple. They don't need to occupy multiple wildcard spots. They just need to occupy one at this moment. Yeah, that's fair. And for context, for those of you who maybe are not on social media, the Orioles have started this whole campaign this year where they've started to call Felix Batista, their dynamite all-star closer, King Felix, as if that nickname has not already been well-established across baseball. And for those who also don't remember, uh, Softy, friend of the pod, a few weeks ago during All-Star Week, had some thoughts about it, and he said something to Felix Batista about it, which got some pushback on social media. That's up for debate how you feel about it, but to your point about how Felix Batista doesn't even really know that this thing's going on, when Softy said that to him, I don't think Felix really had any idea. I think Batista was just kind of like, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> who's this dude yelling at me? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, what in the world is going on? I'm just trying to enjoy the All-Star game. I, I don't even know. I don't think Felix Bautista speaks that much English. I think he might speak a little bit English, but I think it's 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 still rough around the edges for that part. So it really must have just been like, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. What what in the world is going on? Yeah, why why is Softy yelling at me? Well, maybe yeah. We'll, we'll have to ask when we get Softy on again. We'll, we'll we can go through some of his best moments from All Star Week. That being second to him asking Shohei Otani whether he was signing here, just straight <laughs> up. <laughs> For those of you who listen to that interview we did with Softy, he is exactly as advertised. He was the same on this podcast as he is on the radio every day, as he is off the mic every day, and you saw it at All Star Week. Yeah, we're going to get him on, but he's not going to be driving to Climate Pledge Arena this time. He's, he told us next time he comes on, he'll, he'll sit down and we can actually have a, have a good conversation. Not the last one wasn't good, but I think there's uh, more to tap in there. It's funny, though. We appreciate Softy for the, for the personality he is. Let's get into our Mariners storylines, Lyle. Let's start off with Emerson Hancock's debut. And, I, and I'm watching his start last night, and I'm, I'm thinking things along these lines in my head as I'm watching this. I think Emerson Hancock can be the reason this rotation gets to October healthy. If he steps in for the role that Brian Wu was filling while Wu's on the IL, absolutely. The Mariners' strength is their starting pitching. How many times have we said that this season? If Hancock just picks up right where Brian Wu left off, why not? If the production doesn't dip and everybody stays healthy, he can do exactly that. Now, is this an absurd, absurd take on this part? It, it might be because I, I just thought of this in this moment. But the role that Emerson will probably fill this season might not be too different than a role that a peak Marco Gonzalez would fill in the Mariners rotation, right? Like a lot of strikes, cutters, soft contact, not a lot of strikeouts, good command, not great. Still did end up walking three guys yesterday. But overall, I mean, that's the kind of stuff profile he sort of has right now. When they drafted him, it was higher velocity, more strikeouts. But now it seems, for Emerson Hancock, more of a, of a pitch-to-contact approach, and that's what we saw yesterday. When Hancock went six overall in 2020, the belief was he had number one starter-type upside. 
That's come back down to earth a little bit now in the last couple of years between some injuries, between decreased velocity, a couple of different things. But if he's Marco Gonzalez for right now, that's perfect. Because what people like to forget about with Marco is that guy would go out and throw quality start after quality start after quality start and keep the team in games. He would get blown up from time to time. That's what happened to Emerson when he was in the minors. Every now and then he'd have a blow up start. But for the most part, he was keeping teams in games. Now, long term, maybe Hancock gets his velocity back and his upside goes back up. But for right now, in 2023, if he goes out and does anything similar to what he did in his debut, five innings of one run ball, if he goes five innings of two run ball, you're keeping him in games and you can't ask for much more than that. What was particularly impressive that look, look at the stars he was facing last night. His first professional strikeout came against Fernando Tatis Jr. And he made him, he got on pitching ninja with that too, which, you know, that's a, that's a hat tip moment right there for Emerson. But another thing is the Padres, they hit finesse pitchers pretty well. You know, the finesse label under baseball reference. It's guys who are in the bottom third of the league and combine walks and strikeouts and more just pitch to contact instead of going after strikeouts. And I think that's where Emerson qualifies right now. The Padres, as a team, had an 800 OPS this season against finesse pitchers. And Emerson, the finesse pitcher, held them to two hits across five innings. And only three of the 14 balls that he allowed in play were over 95 miles an hour. That's that's pretty impressive stuff against that, that name the name after name after name in that lineup, despite the fact they've been disappointing this season, to to keep them at bay. I will give Emerson some credit, too. He did mix in some swing and miss in a start last night. He got 11 whiffs. Eight were on that sinker. I'm not saying 11 is some gaudy number, but it wasn't like he generated no strikeouts. He still punched out three, and we're getting some guys to swing and miss. So it was a nice balance of both. For a guy that made his first start yesterday... Again, how much more can you take away? I think people question, is he going to go out there and get blown up against the Padres lineup that is lethal? And also, like, to your point, hits slower throwing pitchers much better. He didn't do that. He was totally composed, and he kept the Mariners in the game, and the team scored late. I'm going to need to see some more of his mix of his two-seamer and his four-seam fastball because, to be honest, shape-wise, he's got, he got, uh, from the, the scouting reports I was reading, he's got a lot more run, arm side run on his four seam fastball now, which really leads it to look a lot more like his two seam fastball. And when I was going through his start last night and watching it back a little bit, it, it's it's a little bit harder to really pick apart which which pitch is a two seamer and which pitch is a four seamer. Because if you look at baseball savant, baseball savant had him throwing fifty nine percent sinkers and only throwing one four seam fastball all game, which by some people who counted otherwise said that was definitely not correct on that aspect. So I'm curious to see what his ideal balance of that is. And there was some more optimism as well that his four-seamer actually does generate some more whiffs and be a, a primary whiff pitch of his. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. But overall, I did did like the mix in terms of a, of a, a p- ground ball pitcher getting some getting some soft contact and, and letting his defense do the work. So I got to say... Uh, Good job for Emerson Hancock. Also threw his cutter quite a bit, which is a bit of a softer pitch. Also, again, not for swing and miss purposes, but for soft contact purposes. And right now, that is really the 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 I don't even know the right terminology. The the attribute of where of Emerson Hancock is right now. A few changeups as well, but I guess that's kind of it. 
He's pitching for his job right now in the big leagues. Jerry DePoto said this week, when Brian Wu gets back and healthy, and if everybody is still pitching well, they plan to go to a six-man rotation. They had talked about that a little bit in the past to try to manage some innings between Brian Wu, between Bryce Miller, help Emerson out too. Again, he is throwing a lot of innings this year already if you combine his numbers from the minors. So if he continues to pitch like this, he's going to stay in the rotation and they're going to go to six guys for the time being. But the key there is DePoto said if everyone is pitching well. So if Emerson proves he's a big league pitcher, he'll stick around. And I hope he does. Initial readings on Stuff Plus from Emerson started was an overall 87. His sinker clocked in at an 82. His cutter at a 107. His changeup at, at an 80. His slider is at a 91. His fastball, a uh, forcing fastball at a 92. That sounds about right. A hundredth league average. So for everybody that just heard those numbers, that is below league average. So his stuff has not been overpowering. Again, he is not possessing the same stuff right now that they believed he once had when he was drafted in 2020. It's come down a little bit. Maybe it comes back up one day, but right now he is more like that Marco Gonzalez type, except he's right-handed and a little bit bigger and a little bit more athletic, by the way. Yeah. Did you see that play he made going to first base? I mean, this dude's an athlete. I look at that and I say, that's only a play a rookie would make. Because do you think, you think Robbie Ray's diving for that ball? No. No, no, he's right. not. No, and that's no offense to Robbie, but pitchers know it's a long season and they can just let their second baseman get that ball instead of them. It's not their responsibility. But Emerson saved a base hit on that. So props to him. He did. And he showed his athleticism. I mean, if you go back and listen to that interview we did with Brad Adam, Brad was saying, oh, Emerson Hancock's a really good golfer. So doesn't surprise me he made a play like that. I think just in general, he's a good athlete and also can pitch really well, which is pretty exciting. Now. I do want to touch on Brian Wu here a little bit, which is the reason Emerson Hancock was called up because they put Brian Wu on the 15-day IL. They called it forearm forearm inflammation. There we go. So he's going to miss his next two starts. Um, So this is a phantom injury, right? It is. Jerry did spin it on Seattle Sports today that it wasn't a phantom injury. I have a really hard time thinking that it's not a phantom injury. He might be a little bit sore. That part could be correct. Sore enough that he actually can't pitch. Hmm. Yeah, I I think he's he's getting a bit of a rest. This is by far the most he's pitched in a major league season. And then when he comes back, he's going to get more rest between starts, which will not only help him, but as we touched on in Wednesday's episode, will help Bryce Miller as well get this group into September and in position for a playoff spot against a soft schedule. So... Yeah, it, it, I think it's uh, I think it's fake, and uh, I think he's going to enjoy his time off. Maybe he'll go hit the links a little bit. Here's why I was not sold that it was a real injury. First off, you didn't see him get injured anywhere during that last start in Anaheim. The last image we saw of Brian Wu was him screaming and waving his hands all around in that video after the Cade Marlowe Grand Slam. You know where he screamed, let's go show, hey, we have Cade Marlowe. And he's, he's waving his hands all around, and he's all fired up. I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, okay, where did he get hurt there? I, I don't think he's injured. Now, it could have happened after in a throwing session or something. But then they, when they They said it was in the bullpen. It, so when they talked about it in the press conference about it, in the media session afterward, they said, well, he probably could have made... He, or no, they didn't say he probably could have made his next start. They said Brian still wanted to make his next start and felt like he could have but we said no. And they also said, it's nothing too serious. It should be the minimum time. 
Maybe there's a little something there, but to me, the fact they were saying, oh, he thinks he could have made his next start has me saying, well, this might be their way of shutting him down, managing his innings without actually having to send him, having to send him down to the minors and derail his confidence while also figuring out a solution for the time being. It's not even derailing his confidence. It's just not wasting an option. I think that's all it is. It's finding an excuse to, to give him a, a week plus off and then come back and then get some more rest built into the rotation as well. But now I think of this in the other way. Now you're going to have George Kirby and Logan Gilbert and Luis Castillo pitching less often. So that's the balance you're going to have to play here with August. You can do that with a softer schedule, but gotta that that it does lead to be, you do need to lead to be more careful with that, I would say. That wasn't great English, but I'm never good with the English language anyways, so we'll take that as it is. I just, I do think that's interesting though. Can we, can we put some context though here, Lyle, now that Emerson has made his debut and for the most part looked like a big leaguer in his first start with five innings of one run ball. Over the span of four drafts, the Mariners drafted, developed, and now have debuted an entire major league starting rotation at once. Isn't that incredible? Logan Gilbert, 2018. George Kirby, 2019. Emerson Hancock, 2020. Those three were all first rounders. Then you get Bryce Miller in the fourth round of 2021. You get Brian Wu in the sixth round of 2021. And here they are. Here they all are in the big leagues, thriving. Oh, by the way, you also traded for and extended Luis Castillo. You also signed Robbie Ray. This is a ridiculous rotation. I don't think anybody set up for the future in terms of their starting pitching as well as the Mariners are. I will I will give a little props over to the Cleveland Guardians actually. They they're like they might not be at the same quantity as the Mariners, but I, I was trying to just find any comparisons. Are there any comparisons in, in Major League Baseball to to compare this rotation to? And the Guardians, I mean, here's a list. I mean, with Shane Bieber, he is hurt. Uh, Logan Allen is having a great rookie season. So is Tanner Bibby, and so is Gavin Williams. So they they have developed, you know, a pretty pretty good starting rotation. And they had Savali, who they just traded away as well. So like I would Tristan say that's McKenzie. and then Dodgers as well. What's up? And then Tristan McKenzie and Tristan McKenzie. Yep, yeah, I forgot about him too. So like yeah. they're doing pretty well. And then the Dodgers, if you think about it, I mean, back in the day, they did indeed develop Clayton Kershaw along with their current set of starters like Bobby Miller, Michael Grove, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Walker Bueller, and Dustin May. So there it, there are teams that do it, but it is it is very few and far between. So we've essentially now named three of 30 teams in Major League Baseball that actually have the capacity to pull this off. And it's pretty cool to say the Mariners are one of those three teams. It's incredible. And I can't wait to see what these guys continue to do moving forward. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month plans with espn plus starting at 14.99 a month terms apply see disneybundle.com for details before we get to our second storyline here quick note from a new partner of ours which we're really excited about our friends over at simply seattle i'm sure you 
I shouldn't say I'm sure you guys have probably have heard of them, but I would assume most of you guys have heard of them because they are the best place to get all your Mariners clothing. Make sure to check out and shop at Simply Seattle. It's the go-to place for all your Mariners gear. I think I can speak for both of us when we when we say we were pretty fired up to have this partnership, right? Yeah, and I can say if any of you are looking for gift ideas for your Pacific Northwest relatives, that this is this is the place to go. From from personal experience, the gear is fantastic. Big supporters of all the all the sports teams here in the Seattle area. So we're we're so happy that that they have decided to uh, to partner with us. Go check out their website. They do some really unique stuff. They put their own twist on it. The designs and the logos are awesome. We, we're looking forward to seeing you guys getting some of your own gear. And if you want to do that, you can use our code MARINE15 and you'll get 15% off. So that's, again, code MARINE15 to get 15% off. Okay, second storyline here, TJ. This offense is red, is red hot right now, and the Mariners are red hot right now because of Cal Raleigh. I think you said it perfectly right there. I mean, Cal Raleigh has really turned his season around since July 1st. If you look at his overall slash line for the season, it's good. But if you look at it since July 1st, the dude is slugging 571 with a 153 WRC plus on top of walking 13.5% of the time. I mean, Cal Raleigh came into this season, and we're talking expectations, and we're we're talking about, man, can Cal Raleigh be an all-star catcher? Can he hit 260 and hit 30 bombs again? Can Cal Raleigh do all of this great stuff from both sides of the plate? And he comes out a little slow, and we're a little disappointed, I would say. But now, since the calendar's turned to July and onward, and Cal Raleigh's been a real catalyst in this offense and turning it around here in the second half and contributing to the team winning 24 of 34 games. You can even narrow the lens a little bit closer. If you look at what Cal's done since the All-Star break, 949 OPS, 8 bombs, 161 WRC plus, and he's now up to nearly a three-war season. This guy thrives on the second half. I mean, you look at what he did last year. It was a similar story. He got hot in the second half last year. Team wrote it with him. He put up a 126 WRC plus total for the second half last year, where this year, first month, 161. So just to put it in perspective, for as good as Cal was in the second half last year, He's on another planet right now with what he's doing. This is ridiculous. And he is anchoring this offense. And it really all comes down to Cal Raleigh slugging. I mean, that that's what it is. If he's not slugging, then it's not who he is. But as you've noticed, when he's gotten hot here in the second half, he has all of a sudden started crushing balls along with playing his solid defense, where we now look and he is second in the team in F4 behind Julio, right where he was last year. It's amazing what one month can do because he did start slow. His first half as a whole was pretty ho-hum. He put up a 97 WRC plus, so he's 3% below league average for the entire first half of the year. Fast forward to now, it's a different ball game. Even look at the league ranks. Mariners catchers are second in baseball in WRC plus. They're only behind the Braves featuring the best catcher in baseball in Sean Murphy. One month has made an entire difference in turning Cal season around. And if you look at rates at the plate, Career high in walk rate, 10.5%. Strikeout rate is 27.5%, which is down 2% from last season. A guy who struck out a bunch in the minors, he struck out more last year. 
but it now cut that down while keeping most of his power. Not He's not quite at the power numbers he was at last year, but there's still a lot of time left for him to to catch up and get to that 27 home run mark he was at last year. And his, his slugging percentage, I think, overall is down about 50 points this year. But he has time to catch it up still with with the numbers that he's doing. So it's it's very intriguing. And, I mean, what a compliment to have Tom Murphy and Cal Raleigh hot at the same time and you feel no matter who or both that you put in the lineup that you're getting production out of them and that your catchers are some of your best hitters in the lineup. They've got to find a way to bring Tom Murphy back next year. But that's a side note. While you mentioned Cal's slugging numbers being down, his on base is actually up. It's up nearly 30 points from where it was last year. So he's taking a little bit dip, a little bit of a dip in the power numbers, although it may come back up. The fact he's getting on base more is a very, very positive sign. Yeah, it is. And I got to say, that swing he had yesterday, whoo! What a so swing. I, I have a question for you. How often do baseballs go 450 feet right down the line? I swear it's almost never. It is never. That would be a good baseball smart question. You should ask me before we recorded. We could have looked. We'll look after the episode. I think that's I think that's something to look at, but it doesn't really happen. I mean, those 450-foot home runs go into the power alleys and go out to center field. They are not dead pull. That's that's why we've almost never seen anyone hit one to the top deck at T-Mobile Park in right field because the ball doesn't go that far when you pull it. It's just the nature of your swing and where your power is at in your swing. It's usually more powerful going up the middle than it is going dead pull. But it didn't really seem to matter to Cal Raleigh. And at a 37-degree launch angle, too? That's ridiculous. Yeah, that ball moon scraper. Out. Oh, it was absolutely sent into orbit. And again, the fact it went right down the right field line too just made it that much more majestic. I know everybody's talking about it on Twitter, by the way, but have we seen that swing somewhere before? Maybe, just maybe. Yes, we have. Yes, the 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 moment might not have been as cool, and the bat flip. I it was good, but not quite as good as the clincher. I thought the clincher bat flip was about as perfect as it got, but. The reaction on the mound, I think, made up for it. I forget who the Padres pitcher was. I mean, looked up, saw the baseball, and screamed "fuck" at the top <laughs> of his lungs while walking back uh, away from uh, away from where the ball was going towards towards the uh, towards the away dugout. So they sunk him up with Aaron Savali because earlier in the year, or not Aaron Savali, it was Zach Plesac. We were talking about. Savali oh earlier. yes, yeah, where he. So Steven Wilson, who was the reliever that gave it up to Cal, he got sunk up next to Zach Plesak from earlier in the year, both of them giving up home runs at T-Mobile Park and both of them just punching the ground as they give it up. I thought that was hilarious. That is good. Maybe we can get a trifecta of someone spiking their glove like Erod did in the in the 18 World Series. Could it be Cole Irvin this weekend? Oh, yeah. Oh, that dog, you got it. You just triggered the thought in my head. I, I was telling Lyle before we were going to start recording. All right, I have something I want to lead off with, but I don't remember what it is. Oh, what a magical census is this weekend. All right, we have to talk about this because I, wa- I wanted to talk about it at the start. We haven't gotten to do it yet. I mean, how <laughs> perfect is it that on Felix's induction weekend that Cole Irvin is going to start on the other side? Oh, my goodness. I thought we were saying goodbye forever when we did our segment before the season started when he got traded. But no, he is coming back home for one of the biggest nights in Mariners franchise history. Congrats, Cole. Let's go. Oh, God, I cannot wait. This guy's absolutely getting lit up on Saturday. Like, the Mariners probably won't win all three games of this series. 
they're winning Saturday. Or at the very least, they're lighting up Cole Irvin. They have to. Wow. I mean, it could not be more perfect. Do you think, I'm sure everyone in the clubhouse knows that too. There's just no way they don't. Yeah, two years ago when Tom Murphy did one of his interviews after they beat the A's for the millionth time, somebody asked him about Cole Irvin and he threw in the the phrase team like that in the post-game interview. So yeah, these guys know what, what's going on. They're going to know who's pitching. Again, as a reference for those who maybe don't know the backstory here, two years ago, Cole Irvin had a bad start against the Mariners early in the year of 2021. In a press conference, he was pissed off about the outing, and he said, regarding the Mariners' offense, a team like that should not put up 10 hits against me, or against anybody for that matter. Now, naturally, that quote made its way through social media and got all the way back to the Mariners' clubhouse. All I will say is, please go on Baseball Reference and look up Cole Cole Irvin's numbers against the Mariners every start since then in 2021. Because I have never seen a self-owned to this level. Like, it's almost unfathomable at this point how atrocious he's been against Seattle. Do you have them written down? Because I think I know it off the top of my head. I don't know the actual line-by-line from his starts off the top of my head. But I remember in 2021, he finished the season with the highest career season ERA against the Mariners in one single year for any pitcher that made a minimum five starts. I think it was against any team ever. I thought it was just against the Mariners, but point being, dude's ERA against the Mariners in 2021 was nearly, or no, sorry, not nearly, it was over seven, and then last year he made one start against them and got blown up. I, I think, I'm I'm going to guess off the top of my head, I believe his career against the Mariners, he's 0-7 with an 8-5 <laughs> ERA. I think, I think that's what it is. I, I don't think I'm too far off. Again, I've never seen a self-own like this ever. Like, it's it's something you'd write in a fairy tale. Now, we'll see if changing teams affects this or not. I certainly hope not. I cannot wait for Saturday. I mean, the ceremony's going to be nice, but I think the ceremony honestly might be second fiddle to me for what will happen during the game. Man, like this this bit has to last forever now. That's why I'm rooting so hard for it. Because if, we li- if, if the Mariners light up Cole Irvin again, that is another year of, walk- of walking in the sunshine that Mariners fans get regarding digging Cole Irvin's grave for him. And the thing is, he doesn't get to just shake it off and go back out there like he was with the A's where he could go out and have a good start against the M's, I don't know, in September when they play again. But the Orioles and the Mariners play six times a year and he might only get one shot at it a year. And if he now in the AL East gets lit up once a year by the Mariners, I mean, he's going to have to sit on that for an entire year before he gets a chance to redeem himself. He is, he is the best. He's going to have to, somebody's going to write a storybook about him one day. Some Mariner storybook. This is going to be a crucial part of the early 2020s Mariners history book. I mean, it is going to be nemesis number one, Cole Irvin. (laughs) It's unbelievable. I can't wait. I cannot wait for Saturday. Oh, this should be good. Okay, Lyle. uh, Anything else here before we, uh, before we move on? Stay hot, Cal Raleigh. Keep it going, Big Dumper. That's all I can say, because when he's hot, as we saw in the second half last year, and now in the second half this year, when he's hot, the team's hot. Uh, Cole Irvin Irvin did distract me from my last point. I will just throw this in here before we move on to uh, and go down on the farm. Let's just, like, contextualize this lineup now since July 1st. I mean, Cal Raleigh's been crushing it. 
But here's the team numbers since July 1st. J.B. Crawford has a 177 WRC+. Plus. Julio, a 143 WRC+. Plus. Gino, 131. Mike Ford, even though he's really, really struggled recently, has a 132 WRC+. Plus. And Tom Murphy has a 182 WRC+. Plus. And, I'm like, and I'm thinking, like, wow. It's almost like when you can consistently score runs with a majority of your lineup, and you continue to have good pitching, you can reel off 24 wins in 34 games. What a concept. And you won't have to stay at 500. Even Ty France, if you look at Ty's last three weeks or so, he's around that 120 range. So everybody's starting to pick it up a little bit. You didn't even throw Dylan Moore in there. Dylan Moore in the last two weeks has been great. Everybody. That was on purpose. That was on oh. purpose. Well, I purposely threw him in there. That's my guy. Oh. oh, okay. Well, I was trying to see. I was trying to keep you on your toes. There we go. You always okay. do. I do, yes. All right, let's go down on the farm. Lau, who are you looking at this week? Here's a new name for everybody, but it's time to talk about him. Luis Sweespell, 20-year-old, down in, or sorry, not Everett, down in Modesto right now. He just got called up. Oh, my God, this guy's just torching the baseball. So he had spent most of the season in the Arizona Complex League. He hit 291, six bombs, 1044 OPS. 159 WRC plus in the complex league as a 20 year old. He gets called up to Everett this week. I keep saying Everett gets called up to Modesto this week to low a in his five games there so far, 400 average, three pumps, 1350 OPS, 242 WRC plus in his first five games. It's time for Mariners fans to start circling this guy and checking his line every night because he's crushing it. Well, I'm glad you brought him up because I'd never heard of him either. (laughs) Oh, well, I've started to see him all across Mariners Twitter in the last few weeks because he's just absolutely on fire. I have Hogan Windish on my end. Shout out to Hogan. Appeared on our social media channels this week. Go check it out. Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. You can go find him there. But Hogan, uh, he's been hitting pretty well as well since, uh, that's August 1st. Since August 1st, he's been hitting 321. And that was before yesterday. He had a really good day yesterday. Hit two home runs. Uh, two home runs down in Eugene yesterday, total of three home runs over that stretch, along with three doubles. I mean, he's not a top 30 Mariners prospect, but he was at a UNC Greensboro last season. And overall in the season has an 816 OPS in high A, but he's really been heating up here over the latter stretches of the season. And, you know, half shout out for performance, half shout out for appearing on our social channel. So thank you, Hogan. Yeah, he was really cool. Shout out to Hogan Windish. People compared him when he was drafted to Ty France in the sense of can just flat out hit, but is going to have to find a position and where he plays long term in the infield is TBD. But if he hits, he'll keep moving his way up. And he's done exactly that both in Modesto last year and now in Everett this year. So shout out Hogan Windish. Yeah, it's going to be going to be something to uh, to keep track of. So good job, Hogan. Let's get to our MLB wraparound here. First story, and I think it's the most pressing one, we've got to talk about this Kevin Brown thing. Orioles broadcaster for Masson is currently serving a suspension for what exactly? For for, spe- for for reading a graphic that was put up by an entire production team that was nothing but facts? Should we hear it? Yeah, play it. Let's hear it. Okay, so this is... The segment that was noted, Awful Announcing, I think was the first to report this and the first to dig up the clip of what specifically Kevin Brown was suspended for. So here it is. 
for the Orioles. Brandon Hyde has felt like this has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in, but the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three, and they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the chop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the no. Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. Yeah. So I'm sitting here watching this clip for the first time. I'm waiting for something vulgar, something over the line, something absurd that would require someone to be suspended. I'm going to be honest, Lyle, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> you didn't. I didn't. Fans didn't. Kevin Brown didn't. Nobody did. There was nothing he said in there that warranted any type of repercussions. I mean, this was absolutely ridiculous. If anything, Kevin Brown was saying, hey, look how far the Orioles have come now playing in Tampa. They're playing well in Tampa this year. They didn't used to. Now they are. He was simply the messenger doing his job and reading what was up on that graphic. He did exactly what his entire production team told him to do. And John Angelos, the incredibly soft, miserable owner of the Baltimore Orioles, took offense to it. I thought Michael Kay put it perfectly. Michael Kay, of course, is our second favorite host of the Michael Kay show on ESPN New York. But anyways, Michael Kay on his show put it perfectly. He said, since they have that graphic there in the pregame, if you realize he was reading off a graphic in a pregame open. So he says, okay, so if that's the case and you're actually going to suspend Kevin Brown for this, you should suspend the director, you should suspend the producer, you should suspend the graphics person, and you should suspend the PR staff who put that in the game notes because they're all responsible for putting giving that information to Kevin and having him read it off a teleprompter. But that didn't happen. And the other thing he said was right along the line of what you said, and I thought this was perfect. He says it makes the Orioles look small, insignificant, and minor league for something that he was not even being critical of, merely just reading facts off a piece of paper, and he ended up getting suspended for it. Now, quick history lesson for those who forgot. This isn't the first time the Orioles have had a tussle with a young, up-and-coming great announcer. I totally forgot about this, and I'm glad this story was brought up to me over the course of this week while this whole saga was going on. But I forgot that John Miller, the legendary voice of the Giants and one of the best baseball broadcasters of all time, was the Orioles' television play-by-play announcer. And you know why his contract was not renewed? Because Peter Angelos, the father of John Angelos, thought that his play-by-play was too critical, and they let him go off to San Francisco, and now he is widely regarded as one of the best of all time. You hope this isn't the case for Kevin, and Kevin wants to stay in Baltimore and doesn't leave, but i got to say, how, how do you go back to work like this, knowing that merely noting the fact the Orioles lose a baseball game or lose multiple baseball games could earn you another suspension? 
I'm sure he'll finish out the rest of the season once he gets off the suspension, whenever that is. But I certainly would not be shocked at this point if he moves on to another team or another endeavor. Maybe it's a better endeavor. It's probably a promotion for him at this point if he leaves. Because, like you said, how could you want to work under the lenses of somebody like that? That's just absolutely absurd. You know what the craziest part about this is? Twitter is always split, right? Like, there is always somebody that has the other opinion. There's always somebody that wants to fight back. I don't know about you. I did not find one single person over the last few days that somehow spun this to, yeah, he actually deserved to get suspended. I'm serious. Like all the comments, everything. I did not see one person say Kevin Brown did something wrong. Well, I think Elon might've, might've thought he should have. Oh, great. Elon. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. But, you and I are both do play-by-play. We we both know how this works. Could you do that, knowing you can't acknowledge some of those things? Oh, by the way, another uh, – I'll re- reiterate that question. But another note that the Orioles hate, that, that John Angelos hates, is that any ex-player that left the ball club, you are not allowed to mention at all. You you can't mention them in a, a broadcast. I, 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 that's, a, that's a thing. That actually is a thing. And I'm thinking about that. So with what he got suspended for and that rule I just noted, could you do your job? Well, what are you supposed to do? Oh, here comes Manny Machado. Oh, I'm fired? Like that? It might be Manny Machado if he wasn't playing against you. I think. That sounds more Mm -hmm. right. Mentioning, oh, remember when Manny Machado was an Oriole and left? Because John Angelos wouldn't pay him? Yeah. Well, obviously that doesn't compute. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing that I thought was funny, the athletic wrote an article on this and I thought it was perfect where they're like, okay, it gives off the indication that the, the Orioles are cheap. That graphic, the way it was framed is like, yeah, the, the Angelos family thought that framed them as being cheap. And the very next line in the article was the Orioles are currently 29th in baseball and payroll. It's like, yeah, guys, it does make you look cheap because we can read a spreadsheet unbelievable it it really is unbelievable for all mariners fans out there i know everybody has their their issues with john stanton this has honestly opened my eyes a little bit to say oh it could be way worse i think i think when we had bobby wagner on he put it perfectly mariners ownership in terms of baseball is probably somewhere in the middle everybody has gripes with their own team's ownership everybody i mean people have issues with the steinbrenners now they don't yankees fans don't think they're spending enough money But I think in reality, the Mariners are somewhere right in that middle tier because they do not have people like the Angeloses trying to yank broadcasters off the air and also are 29th in payroll. It's it's crazy. And yeah, I I, I don't have any words left. I mean, it's it's crazy. You don't you don't think that here and now that these these things still happen, that people are still so shallow and so sensitive and to, to things that are factual and and put out by your own team but it is what it is at this point okay let's get to our next storyline here on the wraparound uh one that was now on a bit of a lighter and more funny note how about that brawl this weekend holy (laughs) shit (laughs) that was the first real brawl we've seen in forever maybe since rugnet odor jose batista that was a real punch that was landed yeah it, it was a real punch that was landed. And we I, I can't remember the last time we saw baseball players square up. Like, actually square up. It's incredible. I have the call. Ready for it? Oh. Here we go. This is one of the greatest baseball calls 
in history. The diving Vaughn down the right field line, kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide, safe and in the score is Jimenez. And another hustle double right over the bag at first. Now Jose and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. I think it was perfect that it was Tom Hamilton to do that because he honestly, he has the energy level to really articulate a fight like that. No offense to Rick Riz, but I don't know if Rick Riz is in full throat going to yell, down goes Anderson if 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 Caballero swung on him. I've loved listening to Tom Hamilton for a long time now. Phenomenal broadcaster, great at describing plays and just descriptions in general, as you saw from the call of that fight. And he's also got all this energy. Amazing call. Yeah, this was crazy. I mean, the fact Jose Ramirez actually landed a right hook and knocked Tim Anderson down, you never see that in baseball. We've gotten so used to the benches clearing. Everybody kind of stands around. The bullpens make their way into the infield. They kind of stand around. It's like, oh, let's shake hands, guys, and go back to our ways. Go back to our business. Let's keep playing. No, this was a real punch and fight that occurred in Cleveland. It was a hockey fight. Yeah. That's what it was. was. Real- dropped the gloves. Literally, they dropped the gloves and fought. Which is funny because Jose Ramirez is not known for stuff like this. He is pretty low-key and mild-mannered. He's really good. But he's not one to cause drama. This was so unique for him to start something like this or to be involved with something like this. Now, I'm going to guess words were said after he slid into second base. I think Tim Anderson had an issue Either Tim Anderson had an issue with the way Ramirez slid into second, or J-Ram had issues with the way that Tim Anderson was covering the second base bag. I think words got exchanged, which is what led to the fight, but somebody had an issue one way or another, which again, is not really like Jose Ramirez to be in something like that. I think it was the latter. I think it was. I think I think J-Ram was the one who had the issue. Okay. But I thought this was very on brand for, for some of the White Sox rumors that had come out this week, and I, we have to go into this because you and I have been in the anti-Tony La Russa club from the moment he stepped back into the baseball world. Now, obviously, he's retired, quote-unquote retired. But it looks like some of the culture he uh, instigated, he inputted into the White Sox clubhouse and, and baseball culture is is really, it's really something. Um, what, I don't even know, where do we start? I mean, there are apparently rookies that sleep in the bullpen during games and apparently every meeting that the White Sox hold is has no repercussions if you skip it pitchers skip PFP practice players skip hitting meetings they skip pitching meetings they skip treatment they do all these things and there's no punishment on the other side and there's another good story before I let you comment you saw this Yasmani Grandal story right I was going to say, you're burying the headline here, but here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yasmani Grandal wasn't in the lineup the day before the All-Star break. Uh, Was this this season? I think it was this season, right? It might have been last. It was either this season or last. Okay. But he wasn't in the lineup the last day before the All-Star break. Wanted to just leave early. Made it very clear. Paraphrasing, Tim Anderson said, quote, Fuck him. If he doesn't want to be here, I'll pay for his flight. Grandal heard that he said that walked over to Tim Anderson in the hot tub and slapped him across the face. (laughs) And then you have Grandal saying this story isn't true. So who do we believe here? 
truthfully, I don't know. I don't know. Keenan Middleton was not shy in telling Yankees reporters what the culture was like in Chicago. It honestly doesn't shock me. They're, they are a dysfunctional organization. They have a dysfunctional owner. They are just mediocre forever. And they hired Tony LaRusso, which everyone could tell he was done, but except for Jerry Reinsdorf, and hired him, and they were just a mediocre bunch with all that talent. So something would have to make sense there. Keenan Middleton, Mariners legend, did not hold back. No, he did not. And then you had Lance Lynn, when he got to the Dodgers, get asked about Keenan's comments, and he said, oh yeah, he's not wrong. So people are just throwing this franchise under the bus. And speaking of the White Sox being a bad organization, by the way, fuck that stadium. Literally guaranteed rate field is the worst. While we're on the topic of the White Sox, they have this ridiculous policy. I've been to that stadium once. I know you have too. Where if you buy an upper level ticket, which I did when I went there, I figured, oh, I'll just buy a cheap ticket. We'll walk around, see the stadium. They do not let you on to the first floor concourse. Not like ushers stop you from walking down the aisle. It's not like they don't let you sit there. No, they don't let you go down there. You can't even walk around the main concourse if you buy a ticket on the third level. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in a baseball stadium, and I've never seen it anywhere else. Yeah, it was the, that was might have been the stupidest policy of all time. You cannot buy a hot dog on the lower level. You have to go upstairs to do that. Antiquated. Very antiquated. And... Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think I'll just leave it at that for now. But and their food sucks, by the way. Like this food at that stadium's not good. So. You and I have both been to now Guaranteed Rate Field in Wrigley, and I could not, I could not think the environments for baseball could not be any farther apart. Hundred percent. Are we going to talk about before we wrap this up too that after this fight between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson, that Tim Anderson just started tweeting nonstop. Basically, it's as if it was as if he was trying to tweet through the pain. I mean, you look at this guy's Twitter the last few days. He's just ripping off tweets left and right. It's things that don't even make any sense. It's these classic wide receiver quotes. That yeah, I was about, about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what it is. Just tweeting through it. I think he's tweeting so much now because people went and dug up his tweets from 10 years ago saying something about going to sleep and people just started retweeting it. So <laughs> as soon as he got back to the clubhouse, he started deleting all those tweets. Oof. What a week of baseball news. And we haven't even gotten to the third storyline, which in terms of on baseball field production might be the best one of them all. So let's get to that here. Michael Lorenzen, now member of the Philadelphia Phillies, throws a no-hitter this week. Did you see one of these, this stat that's literally only what happened in baseball stat? So credit to High Heat Stats on Twitter for finding this. There are four players that have graduated from Fullerton Union High School in Fullerton, California and gotten made the big leagues uh, and made made the big leagues in Major League Baseball. So four players from Fullerton Union High School that made it to the big leagues playing baseball. All four of them are pitchers and now all four of them have thrown a no hitter. All four of them. They, look at this list. Steve Busby, Michael Lorenzen, Mike Warren, and wait for it, Walter Johnson. Is it bad that I only know two of those guys? I only know the big train and Walter Johnson and then Michael Lorenzen. I don't know the other two. I think I've heard of Busby before, but not Mike Warren. No. Okay. And, might you know, a- Mike Warren is a career ERA, ERA of five. Busby is a career 3 guy. 
Okay. 70 and 54 career record, you know, big wins and losses guy, of course, but it, it, it like, it is what it is. <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild. I mean, we talked about this Lorenzen trade when it happened. We said he was an all-star this year. He's having a career year. Phillies tried to strengthen their rotation. They've done that now. Look at the Phillies. Not only does Michael Lorenzen go out and start pitching like this and spins a no hitter, Phillies are sitting in that first wild card spot. And now they're set up to probably make the playoffs again with an even better rotation. And they've really got a, it, it seems like now for how Lorenzen is pitching, a pretty good bargain on him. He's thrown eight innings and now nine, a nine inning no hitter in a Phillies uniform. And over his last six starts, he has a 1 1 1 ERA across 40 and two thirds innings. That's, that's pretty good for just giving up a, a struggling 20 something minor leaguer to get him for a rental. That's, that's pretty good. And for Michael Lorenzen, for a guy who's had a bit of an up and down career, he could cash in if he keeps pitching this well down the stretch. Teams love overpaying for rental players who have a who have a good three month stretch to end the season. Always, and we saw what the Phillies did last year. Even if they're not the best team on paper entering the postseason, we've seen that offense. If they get hot, it's hard to stop them. And now, if they have a better rotation, who knows? I mean, Michael Lorenzen keeps pitching this way, and you're rolling to October with a with a Wheeler Nola Lorenzen trio. Yeah, that does things. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. It'll be something. To- It'll be something to keep an eye on. You know what else we should keep an eye on? A Russell Wilson umpire of the week. Let's circle right back and tie this into our MLB wraparound because the two intertwine. TJ, you sent me a text this week saying this has to be our umpire this week. So let me tee you up for it. Lay it, it on has us. To, yeah, it has to be. We've, hel- we've highlighted Malachi more before in a negative sense, but now our Russell Wilson umpire of the week this week is actually in a positive sense because Malachi Moore was the umpire standing between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. And essentially, while watching those two bark at at each other, he himself decided, I'm not doing this, and gave us the best moment that we could have ever asked for of them getting knocked, of Tim Anderson getting knocked out. He allowed this to happen. You know, umpire, umpire acting or umpire... I don't, even, I don't even know the right terminology. Like What umpires usually do is that they're going to kill all the fun in a given moment. Well, Malachi Moore, he let the fun happen. He let the, he let the players spill out. He let punches be thrown. And then he let the teams come police themselves while standing back and watching one of the greatest moments of this 2023 season. He served as a hockey ref in a sense. He said, you guys want to fight? I'm stepping back. Don't let me be a part of this. You guys do whatever the hell you want to do. He just stepped right back and said, square at it, fellas. I, I will step in when someone hits the floor, which they did. It's exactly what a hockey referee would do. When it gets too extreme, they step in. Until then, they say, go right ahead. Be my guest. So shout out to Malachi Moore. He understood the assignment. So it's good. That's good. I'm I'm glad that happened. It, it would have been really easy to ruin that moment. It really would have been. But he didn't. So shout out to you, Malachi Moore. And now two-time Russell Wilson umpire of the week. I just realized we should probably be keeping track of this. Yeah, we should. Maybe next season we'll have to keep track of them and we can tally them up from this season too. So then we can actually record who's in the lead here. Who's, the, who's in the lead? Not Angel Hernandez, considering he's barely umped any games. Although, like we've said, it will not take him long now that he's back to be on this list here. I think he's dodging us. Well, you, you, what, you think he's umpiring games well on purpose? 
I think, no, I think he saw that these two kids have now have a Russell Wilson umpire of the week award and decided to half retire. Hmm. That's actually not a bad theory. He doesn't want any more bad PR because, no. well, let's, let's be real. Angel, Angel Hernandez never gets bad PR. People only have good things to say about that guy. No, we specifically hold umpires accountable. And he was like, yes. oh, I can't have that. No, exactly. All right. Let's close out the show with speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. What's on your mind this week? It can only be one thing. We touched on it two weeks ago, and now, TJ, it is official. Richard Sherman is your newest host of Undisputed with Skip Bayless. It is official pen to paper. Are you going to be up at 9.30? What, what time do they go on? Whatever time they're on, you're going to be up watching that? It's going to be him, Lil Wayne, and Rachel Nichols <laughs> sitting at a desk together. Does that not sound entertaining? <laughs> well, I don't think they're all going to be there at the same time. I think they're going to rotate on different days. But again, I don't ever watch this show until now because the fact that Sherm's going to be on I think I have to start watching because guess what? There is no chance they make it through even one football season without the two of them blowing up on each other. There's going to be some moment in the studio worse than Skip and Shannon ever had where those two legitimately start screaming and are standing up at each other. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, Skip, but Sherman is different from Shannon. I mean, Sherman, Richard never forgets things you say. He does not. If you say something <laughs> about him, He'll bury it in his head, and, and he'll wait for the right moment to spring it on you. I can't even believe I'm saying I can't wait for Undisputed, but some one of our friends said it today, and I agree with him. I cannot wait for Undisputed. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, we'll have to, uh, we will check back in here on Speaker Mind after we watch a few episodes. Yes. I think that'll also, be Also, last thing before you dive in on your topic. Does Lil Wayne actually know sports? No. Well, he might a little bit. He probably knows basketball. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested because I was going to say, I don't, I don't know how much he's breaking down here. Then again, how much does Skip break down? But he, Right, ex- exactly. The thing is, you don't need to like sports. You just need to like Skip, and that's what Lil Wayne does. We know he loves Skip somehow. Where did that relationship start? I don't even know. I, I honestly have no idea. Maybe we'll have to do some research on that too. That is just the weirdest friendship ever. Like how those two crossed paths and became so close in terms of friends. I have no idea. My speak your mind this week is Phil Mickelson. There's a story that came out today. And if you haven't listened to our episode with Peter Apple last week, go check it out. We did talk some baseball betting. Phil makes Peter look like uh, he's betting a penny every time he bets. Do you know, Peter explained to us what a unit is. He said a unit is 1% of what you're willing to lose while betting on sports. Do you know what Phil Mickelson's unit was well, over the, uh, from a stretch from 2010 to 2014? Why don't you enlighten everybody? $110,000. Isn't this incredible? He bet... $110,000 on something 1,115 times. <laughs> Phil Mickelson bet over a billion dollars over that stretch and netted about $100 million in losses. 
I, I can't even begin to fathom that number. I'm not even going to get to the fact of how many better things that money could be used for today than wasting it on sports gambling like he did. <laughs> but this is just incredible. This man, uh, for what year was this? In 2011, he averaged nine bets a day, including one day, Lyle, where he bet 43 times on an MLB slate. Man, that sounds like somebody with no education. He must have gone to some awful school. I mean, what a moron. Oh, wait, he would wait. ask you. Yep. <laughs> you know what? That sounds on brand, though. Sounds on brand for, yeah. for, for an ASU kid. Oh, 100%. A lot of money making poor decisions. Yeah, that's, that's about right on brand. So that day not he... We were, not saying we were like that. I don't think we were. But when you think of ASU kids, there is a type. Let's put it like that. The thing is, what I think about with 43 bets in one day on a Major League Baseball slate, at most, there's 15 games. Yeah, so he's betting props. He's betting lines. He's probably betting no run first inning on half of these games. He's probably $143,500 in losses that day on his baseball betting day. Is it, like That's just incredible. I, I'm just trying to think about that. First of all, I'm thinking, I'm like, is that even legal? I'm like, probably not. Like no no casino would take that much money on on something I don't think, right? No none of those Vegas casinos would let a guy walk in there like and bet nine times at one hundred ten thousand dollars. I doubt it. No, I really doubt it. So, good job, Phil. And because of all this gambling debt, he essentially single handedly ruined the PGA Tour. You think about uh, it, right? Right? His gambling debt was the reason he took the live money and all the other people took the live money and now live bought the PGA essentially. Shout out to you Phil Mickelson. Again, they're going to they're going to put him they're going to put a statue up at ASU one day. Yeah, yeah, they will. They should put it up at uh what is it? Greyhawk? Greyhawk where the golf facility is and say, "Look at this. Uh so here's Phil and then there's his uh, all of his gambling losses down there a separate statue uh down the street. Yeah. Maybe Talking so, Stick Resort will put one up of them too. They should put him in the in the sports book in uh what's it? What's the arena called now? Not it's not Talking Stick. It's something whatever else. the whatever the Suns arena Footprint is. Center. Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? You probably hey, I'm made one a for lot one all time in that sports book, so they should put a statue up of me next to Phil. Whew. Two ASU legends at its finest. You know what? One's a bit of a better gambler than the other one. Not saying you who's the, who. Are, I was going to say, are you the better gambler? I, I mean, you bet less money. He lost more money, but percentage-wise, he's probably better. All right. I guess I guess we'll need a bigger sample size from you to determine. But hey, until you lose like a hundred thousand dollars, or I, I I think you're I think you're in the clear here. My units were a little bit smaller than his were. Maybe subtract a uh, hundred and nine thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars. Yeah, let's ballpark it at that. I think that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do that, go follow us, go download our episodes, go leave us that five-star review. That really helps us out if you do. And then head over to YouTube, hit subscribe, like, comment, turn the notification bells on. We do a bunch of stuff on YouTube consistently. And then if you want to check us out on social media where we are always active, 
Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at MarineLayerPod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon. Thank you.